Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Great to have you here. And joining me now is Matt Schaff of Draft Sharks, a savvy, grizzled veteran of the fantasy football media. Folks, go check out DraftSharks.com. Matt and his colleague Jared Smola are both really smart dudes and make an excellent team. You can find Matt on Twitter at Shoff DS. Matt's welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Pat. And thanks for putting Savvy ahead of Grizzled. As long as I have them going in that order, I feel like I'm doing all right. <laughs> right. Grizzled <laughs> and then Savvy. The Savvy is almost like sort of a backhanded compliment, but Savvy <laughs> first and I'm okay. Um, ambiguous backfields, Matt's. We have a number of them and trying to get a handle on the distribution of snaps and touches in these ambiguous backfields is going to be a favorite pastime on fantasy Twitter in the months to come. I have a feeling you're a sharp guy and I want to take your temperature on some of these backfields to see where we agree or, or maybe disagree on the lay of the land. And let's start with the defending champs, the Buccaneers. So early last season, we saw Ronald Jones serve as sort of the one a guy in that backfield. Then things kind of tilted toward Fournette in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, part of that was Rojo was dealing with, let's see, a broken finger late in the year. I think he spent a few weeks on the COVID list and then uh, tweaked his quad in pregame warmups before the Buccaneers game against Washington, their playoff opener. Fournette wound up getting a majority of touches in the playoffs, but Rojo still had double-digit carries in the three playoff games he played. Now they've added Giovanni Bernard. They've still got Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, they're... Going into his second year, he's still kicking around. Assuming the ambiguity holds down the individual prices, is there anyone in this backfield who interests you? Well, let me say first about ambiguous backfields in general. Like, I think people are going to just kind of have to get more comfortable with it than they are right now. Because a lot of times you start talking about backfields like this, and people are like, he's never going to be the lead back there. It's like, yeah, probably not. But most teams don't have a true lead back anymore. Most of the backfields are like this. It's going to be crowds that we have to figure out. I, I am interested in both Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette at this point at the right price. The Jones injury at the start of the playoffs really opened that door for Fournette. He led Jones in carries 45-35 over the final three playoff games, you know, after the game where Jones initially got hurt and didn't end up playing. Also led him 17-0 in targets, though, and that's the, the part that really gets me and makes it hard for me to, you know, lean back toward Jones. I think what, what's going in Jones's favor is he's the younger guy. There's a chance that he's still ascending, that he gets better heading into this season. And Leonard Fournette, at this point, the way running back careers go, it's probably closer to heading in the opposite direction for him. But, you know, if we look back at their their season overall, Jones was the carry leader more times than Fournette was, 8-5 to five to, in, uh, versus Fournette in their 13 shared games there overall, including the playoffs. Fournette was the leader in targets almost every time, 11-2. to two. 
Um, and he outscored uh, Jones by a, a lot in the postseason. And then uh, Jones was the outscoring guy in the regular season at 1.8 points per game. So, I mean, like, depending on where you look at, you could make an argument for either guy having the the favoritism. I think after the way the playoffs played out, I would have said, why well, I'm leaning Fournette as the favorite because they finished the season with him on, on such a roll. But then they let him just kind of linger in free agency for a while. They let him test the market, see if he could go anywhere. And he couldn't. He couldn't find a spot. He re-signed with the Bucks and he re-signed for only a year and $3.25 million after the strong playoffs. So it says that the Bucks still like him. They brought him back. Um, but to me, it's him versus Jones. And I think that we should expect it to look the same way that it did throughout most of last season, where they're both kind of sharing the job. One week, it'll look like Jones. The next week, it'll look like Fournette. Gio Bernard uh, doesn't really move the needle for me. I think that they just like adding guys that they think still have some talent. You know, they did it with LaShawn McCoy before, and he didn't end up really being a factor. So Bruce Arians is talking up Keyshawn Vaughn, too. I didn't think he was exciting as a prospect. I think his rookie season could not have gone much worse, so I don't think he's a big factor either. But they're guys you know, that will probably get some level of touches. So, you know, overall, I would say, yeah, I'm interested in Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, as long as they stay like outside the top 30 running back the way they are in ADP right now. Not overly interested in either one and certainly not planning my fat, my flag on either Jones or Fournette. Yeah. Um, first of all, really good point about the just overarching situation at running back in the league with committees kind of being more the norm now. It's like we're Definitely, even though you and I maybe stretch back to, uh, you know, football in the fantasy football in the late 90s, early 2000s, when it was more sort of a workhorse landscape. Uh, now, you know, you're happy with uh, a running back. If he's only battling one other guy for carries, it's the three headed backfields that you start to worry about now. So um, good point on that. But, yeah, I, I think. I think it's going to be that that it's going to come down to Jones and Fournette and both might have some level of value. I think Bruce Arians even said he's still going to split carries with those guys. I just kind of think, you know, we saw playoff Lenny last year. He got on a roll and uh, they were in a position where they were able to keep run friendly game scripts for you know much of the playoffs. I mean, I think. Uh, that game against the Saints was maybe the only one where they spent like a significant amount of time trailing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, even in those three playoff games where Fournette was getting two thirds of the carries and, uh, much more of the passing down work, Jones still had double digit carries in those three games. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you that both can be interesting at the right price. Let's stay in Florida for a minute and check in on the Jaguars, Matt, how do you feel about Travis Etienne for redraft? I felt a lot better about Travis Etienne before he landed with Jacksonville. But, I mean, I think he's the best back in Jacksonville now. The The question is how much that matters. Because, obviously, you know, we all know that the, the whole point of RBs don't matter is not that – it's not that a, a crappy running back is just as good as the best running back. It's that usage matters more than the specific talent. It's the number of touches that you get. And that's what we don't know about Travis Etienne. Urban Meyer said he views James Robinson, Carlos Hyde as two down backs, mentioned Travis Etienne uh, along the lines of Percy Harvin. And I don't think that it was his quote that said Percy Harvin, but that was that's the connection um, with what they're looking at for his role. And then Etienne worked out with the receivers at his first camp with the team. Now that could end up being a positive where they just look to get him 
that much receiving work. And he winds up commanding the rushing work just because of how good he is. So I like Travis Etienne. I'm willing to bet on Travis Etienne. The landing spot makes me a little bit wary and pushes him a little bit further down the board than it would have if he had landed in a better spot for my taste. Do you think James Robinson is going to be, I don't know, at least flex worthy in 12 team leagues from week to week? Or does the combination of ETN and that Carlos Hyde signing, that sort of sneaky uh, value drainer for James Robinson? I mean, is this just going to make him bench fodder and redraft? I I mean, I think if I had to bet on it right now, I would say I don't think James Robinson is going to end up being a regularly useful uh, flex guy for just that reason, because we do have Travis Etienne at least taking away a good bit of receiving and, you know, probably a fair amount of rushing, even if they treat him like a slash type player. And, you know, Carlos Hyde has history with Urban Meyer. If you read quotes from Hyde, he was excited the moment Jacksonville signed Urban Meyer and was planning to sign there. And then they did sign him. And, you know, it was early in free agency, too. It wasn't like he, he's been around and he finally signed after the draft. So, it, it seems pretty clear that they like Carlos Hyde. I know that fantasy folks don't think Carlos Hyde is that good at this point in general, but he got he commanded a fair number of carries in Seattle last year. So I think he's still the kind of player that a coach is going to give the ball to. You know, we'll see how it develops over the summer. Um, you know, especially in terms of how much uh, Travis Etienne is going to get on the ground. I think that the way to treat James Robinson right now would be if you could get him in like round eight and have him on your bench as maybe a running back four and see what happens. Maybe he can turn into something, but his ADP has been climbing lately since we've gotten the Travis Etienne working out with the wide receivers thing. And I'm surprised at how early James Robinson is currently going. Yeah, that's interesting. Like as, as if they're expecting Travis Etienne to operate only at wide receiver and, and that Robbins, it's going to be a workhorse again. It's just not happening. Uh, and we can't forget about the Carlos Hyde thing, man. I agree. Like that's just, you know, his excitement about being reunited with urban, um, you know, maybe it's, uh, we're going to see an injury and that'll boost Robinson and, and preserve some of his touch count. But I mean, we cannot rely on that. Yeah. I mean, I looked this morning and at, uh, ADP on best ball tens just since last Thursday, May 20th. So it's only 10 drafts. So, you know, it's a small sample. Maybe we get some goofy stuff. But in those drafts, James Robinson has not gone later than 44th overall a single time in those 10 drafts. Travis Etienne's ADP is at uh, 45 overall. So people in those drafts at least are valuing James Robinson as no worse than equal to Travis Etienne, which, which seems a little crazy to me right now. Yeah, I've seen that in the best balls that I've been doing where I'm not shocked at where ETN is going, you know, typically like the fourth round, but I am shocked by James Robinson typically going not long after in those drafts. Um, All right, I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm going to be paying very close attention to the 49ers backfield this summer. On one hand, the Niners moved up to draft Trey Sermon in the third round. And if we see more of the Trey Sermon who piled up 254 yards from scrimmage against Clemson in the semifinals of the college football playoffs last year, I mean, man, he could be incredibly valuable in a Shanahan family zone running scheme that's been pretty historically successful uh, in multiple NFL cities. On the other hand, Kyle Shanahan has occasionally confounded us with 
unpredictable touch distribution in his backfields. And heaven knows it was hard to pin the tail on the donkey last year in the weeks when Raheem Mostert didn't play. In best ball drafts, I've been seeing Sermon in, I don't know, low end running back three territory. Can you get on board at that price? Absolutely. I mean, I I like Sermon the most right now in that backfield. Kyle Shanahan only drafted one running back through his first four years as head coach of the 49ers. And I say Kyle Shanahan drafted. He's the head coach, so I don't know exactly how much influence he has in who they pick. I would I would assume it's strong influence at the very least, but you know, through those first four drafts before this year, his teams had drafted one running back. That was Joe Williams in round four of 2017. Otherwise, it was an inherited Carlos Hyde. It was a whole bunch of undrafted free agents. Um, you know, other guys that they signed as free agents from other teams. I think the the Joe Williams pick speaks to both how they feel about Sermon with him coming earlier in round three. As you mentioned, they traded up for him. And it also kind of reminds us that we need to make sure to temper excitement for Trey Sermon because Joe Williams, fantasy folks got excited about, you know, the, the rumor was that Kyle Shanahan pounded the table for him in the draft room. And that's why they picked him. Joe Williams has yet to touch the football in an NFL regular season game. So, you know, however excited they were about him at that point, it doesn't guarantee success. Now, Trey Sermon, there have been there was like a slight buzz on him heading into the NFL draft. Then I think his draft position created a little bit more buzz. I don't think that his ADP has caught up with that buzz though. If he's going in the low 30s among running backs, you know, right around RB40 range, I don't think that's too early at all. Even if he doesn't turn into the top carry guy for San Francisco this season, he's bound to give you a couple of usable games. And even if he doesn't at that range, you're not really losing a whole lot by taking a shot on that uh, at, at that level. And I think if you're looking at it right now, you got to figure that Trey Sermon's probably the best bet to be the top scorer in that backfield, far from a guarantee. And I think if you're betting on anybody as a guarantee in San Francisco, that's the only way that you can make the wrong move here. But if you, if you, you know, temper that excitement, if you don't reach too far to get the guy that you like, it's a high value backfield. I think overall they were like the number four scoring set of running backs in fantasy last year in PPR. Agreed. Uh, that offensive line looks really good. Trey Lance, kind of a wild card. I mean, maybe if he comes in, starts early, and uh, you know, it's possible his running could sort of cannibalize the value of the the San Francisco running backs with uh, Trey Lance running in touchdowns, but. As my guest Pete Davidson pointed out last week, it kind of works both ways where sometimes the running quarterback opens up lanes for the running backs a little bit. You know, we've seen that in Baltimore, certainly with Lamar Jackson. Um, Yeah, and I'm with you, man. As long as we're getting a committee back price on Trey Sermon, like there's not much downside. Maybe you get a committee back for that committee back price, fine. Uh, But if you get a guy who can outright win the bell cow role, or at least a a clear majority, then you've really got something there in that offense. How do you think we should feel Matt about Miles Sanders, considering the Eagles additions of Kenneth Gainwell, carry on Johnson, Jordan Howard. I think that the, I think the fact that there isn't more excitement about Miles Sanders right now speaks to just how bad things went in Philly last year. Cause I, I think Miles Sanders has had a deceptively good off season. So you, you mentioned the names. 
let's look at what they've actually added. Jordan Howard got waived last year by Miami. He landed on Philly's practice squad after that, then re-signed for less than a million dollars. So that means after Miami dumped him, nobody else wanted him. Otherwise, they could have simply grabbed him off the Philly practice squad. He's heading into his sixth NFL season, couldn't even get a million dollars as a free agent this offseason. If Jordan Howard is threatening your job, then you're not very good. And I think that Miles Sanders is pretty good. Carryon Johnson got dumped by the Lions right after a season that found a 35-year-old Adrian Peterson keeping him on the bench. So Carryon Johnson is not a scary entity to me in terms of his challenge to Miles Sanders. Kenneth Gainwell, I love him as a prospect. I did the scouting report. Uh, for DraftSharks.com. It's one of the 45 scouting, rookie scouting reports that you can read for free on DraftSharks right now if you go over there. Um, I, I think the ceiling is high on Kenneth Gainwell, but he's also a fifth-round pick who didn't play football last year. So I, I think if we're betting on what Kenneth Gainwell is going to do this year, the smarter bet is that he's not going to do a whole lot. I do think the ceiling's high, but again, Kenneth Gainwell landing there in round five, not a reason for me to dislike Miles Sanders. And beyond those guys, the Eagles also hired an offensive head coach in Nick Sirianni, who has a history of in, in run favoring offenses. We'll see what his offense looks like this year. He's worked a lot with Frank Reich in the past. So, you know, tough to know exactly how much of the offense is his, how much was Frank Reich's. We'll see about that this year. But you can get Miles Sanders in round three. Like I said, all every single backfield has somebody that you could point to and say, what if that guy challenges the starter and touches? Philly, I think, is one of the weaker set of challengers to a guy that just a year ago we were, we were all excited about. I think Miles Sanders was overrated once he got into round one on a regular basis in like FFPC drafts. But now he's two rounds later. I mean, it's taken a lot of the risk away, especially when you consider how many running backs are coming off the board before you can get to Miles Sanders in round three. Yeah, that's a good point that he might be more attractive at this current price point. I also agree that Jordan Howard and Carrion Johnson, probably not big threats, but I have to admit the Gainwell pick definitely has me spooked a little bit about Sanders just because I think Gainwell profiles as such a, you know, like the James White of this class as this guy who the passing back, uh, passing down role just looks like so perfectly tailor-made for him. And and one of the things we liked about Miles Sanders was the pass catching potential, the the three down ability. Although as we talked about earlier, you know, maybe the, the three down workhorse stuff is overdone since it's so rare in the NFL now, but I guess we shouldn't overlook though. What a, a boost the Jalen hurts insertion gave Sanders last year. I mean, suddenly the, the holes were there Uh, You know, the offense was sustaining drives and Sanders started to pile up some pretty impressive rushing numbers. So, um, you know, maybe that should be foremost in our minds rather than what the Eagles added at the position in the offseason. There was a recent quote from Lions offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn about Jamal Williams, their free agent addition, being a classic A-back, meaning someone who can stay on the field for all three downs. I don't know. It was kind of an innocent quote, uh, but some people are kind of making a lot of it. Uh, You know, I thought it was just sort of a coordinator praising one of his players. Probably shouldn't read too much into it, but does it make you at all concerned about DeAndre Swift's usage? Uh, And does it make you any more interested in Jamal Williams as a a later round pick? I I would say yes to both because the quote that's getting passed around came from this fuller film breakdown 
on the athletic that Anthony Lynn did. And I haven't even read through the entire thing yet, but I mean, he, he basically talked up Jamal Williams being able to do lots of the things that they want at, at running back. And, and he called DeAndre Swift more of like a, a speed guy that you like to get in space, called them complimentary backs. So I was already a little wary of DeAndre Swift, especially as his ADP was climbing toward the front of round two. You could see him go late in round one at times. Uh, Even at that point, though, when I was not drafting DeAndre Swift at the place where he was going, I would not have considered it possible that Jamal Williams might beat him this season in carries. I think at the very least now with what Anthony Lynn has said about them being A and B backs, and, you know, maybe it's not that A is necessarily ahead of B, but that's just how he decides to designate their their different spots. I think at the very least his quote introduces the possibility that Jamal Williams gets more carries than DeAndre Swift this year. So I think that the sheer possibility of that spooks me about DeAndre Swift going in the middle of round two, especially when I know I can get, you know, a relatively safer uh, wide receiver, if I can get a running back like Austin Eckler, uh, if I know Joe Mixon's going behind him, if I know Miles Sanders is in the following round, I just, for me, DeAndre Swift is not the guy at the price, especially in an offense that I don't believe is going to do anything particularly well this year. So I think that that lowers the ultimate ceiling and makes me less scared of missing out on what I might get if DeAndre Swift does hit, you know, as well as he can this season. And then J- Jamal Williams, I was already drafting him a decent amount late in drafts. I think this only grows his upside. I mean, it was already a, a decent spot for opportunity because even if you believe in Swift, it's just Swift and him in that backfield basically now. So there's opportunity to at least get some touches. We've seen what Jamal Williams can do in a backfield with Aaron Jones. I think, you know, at this point, Aaron Jones is better than DeAndre Swift. Maybe Swift has a higher ceiling ultimately, but we've seen Aaron Jones do it. He's got that big second contract. So at the very least, Jamal Williams is going to a backfield with you know, I guess a less proven version of Aaron Jones. So I think where he is going, there's upside. And especially when we're talking about best ball times and when I don't have to decide when to start Jamal Williams at their relative prices, he's a lot more attractive to me than DeAndre Swift. Agree with that. And maybe the role is going to be a lot bigger than we, I don't know, maybe first suspected, but yeah, like the, the price and, and man, I am a DeAndre Swift fan. I thought he just answered every question in his rookie year. Uh, especially later in the season as they started giving him a bigger and bigger share of the rushing load. And just, you know, the pass catching skills are pretty exceptional. But man, as a, a Green Bay Packers fan, I have definitely become a big Jamal Williams fan in recent years. And he really is that versatile guy who can, you know, pass block, catch passes out of the backfield, run like has gotten better by leaps and bounds as a runner. I thought he was kind of a bum after his rookie year in 2017, to be totally honest. Uh, Just, you know, didn't seem like he had much wiggle or burst at all. And now, man, he just, uh, you know, very hard-nosed, very savvy, pretty efficient with his footwork and just, you know, a a pretty solid all-around back. So, yeah, maybe people are kind of underselling the role that he's going to have. And I, th- I think that speaks to how perception can can sneak in. I mean, I, back when Jamal Williams was first there, we were all like, come on, get him off the field and give the ball to Aaron Jones more. And then when Aaron Jones did pass him and he started getting the ball less, you could see, yeah, in that role, Jamal Williams is a useful guy. And, you know, now he goes to Detroit and we're all excited about DeAndre Swift. And we're like, come on, Jamal Williams is not as good as DeAndre Swift. 
it doesn't really matter. That's where it really doesn't matter what we think about who's the better player. And that's where I don't want to underrate what the coach is saying, because if Detroit's coaches think that Jamal Williams is good enough that he needs to be on the field more than he was in Green Bay, it might not matter whether they're even right. You know, maybe they could spend all season being wrong about how many touches Jamal Williams is getting and how many opportunities DeAndre Swift's getting. That's still going to cap the upside, uh, the fantasy scoring potential on the guy that we're taking in round two. Yeah, Jamal Williams destined to spend the entirety of his NFL career making fantasy managers angry that someone's <laughs> being kept off the field. Are you buying the idea of Mike Davis as a draft value, considering how sparse the Falcons' depth chart is? I think Mike Davis is a fine shot to take where he's going right now, which is anywhere in round five. I've seen his actual draft spot can be all over the place. I've seen him go as early as round two, which I think is absurd. Um, But if he's going in round five or later, then I think he's fine. I wouldn't call myself a Mike Davis buyer. Uh, I might have drafted him once so far. Um, and I'd be surprised if they don't add something else to that backfield before the season. You know, it, it, Arthur Smith even talked about there's still guys who will be cut. There's the possibility of trades. Um, so, you know, I, I would bet that they will add some running back to that roster before the season starts, unless Javian Hawkins and Cordero Patterson have really good summers. And I think it's worth noting that Atlanta lists Cordero Patterson at running back on the team website. So, you know, I don't think that he's going to carry 120 times and catch 30 balls, but Patterson could be a bigger part of that run game than we uh, might anticipate. The The name that always pops into my head when we talk about a running back like Mike Davis right now that you just can't help but project big volume for is Toby Gerhardt. When he went to Jacksonville in 2014, after, you know, solid spurts in Minnesota, he signs as a free agent with the Jaguars and we're like, well... I mean, he's got to carry the ball 230 times this year, and he pretty much has to catch 40 passes. I mean, he really can't fail if you draft him at this point, and he did because he's not that good, and that's Mike Davis to me. If he gets 250 carries and catches 70 passes, yes, he's going to be worthwhile in fantasy, and that's why I think he's fine to take round five, round six, but Mike Davis is not that good. That's why he didn't stick in Chicago. It's why he didn't stay in Seattle. It's why he's not back with Carolina this year. They let him go and drafted Chuba Hubbard on day three instead because Mike Davis is not that good. So, you know, if we get to the season and he's the top back, I think you will have found a value in round five or six on your roster. But don't don't go into the season expecting Mike Davis to be your league winner. Good Lord, Matt, you have no idea how much I love the fact that you brought up Toby Gerhardt on this podcast as a cautionary tale. And that, but it's a perfect example of what happens when you project in ordinary talents for a role. And there are just so many ways for that to fall apart on you. So, yeah, I think, I think Davis is kind of too early at, if he goes in the fifth round, I think, man, even in the sixth, there's just, no way this guy's going to get 200 carries this season. I just don't see it. And um, yeah, you mentioned, hell, it could be Cordero Patterson. It could be Javian Hawkins, even though he was undrafted. It could be someone who the 49ers cut because they have like six decent running backs on their roster right now. Um, but yes, I'm I'm not really ready to bet on Mike Davis as a uh, lead back. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, know. definitely where I am too on him. Um, all right, Matt. So you live in Rochester, New York, not too far from Buffalo. I'm sure you have your finger on the pulse of the bills. 
are you interested in either Zach Moss or Devin Singletary? And do you think there's a role for Matt Burita in this offense? I just got off my morning call with Brian Dabble right before we, we started this recording. I talked to him every single day now. Um, <laughs> I do. I, I'm definitely most interested in Zach Moss here. He got hurt fairly early last year, so I don't think we really got a full view of what the team thinks of him and how they plan to use him and what he can do. But he was already involved in all phases. He, that included receiving and included goal line stuff. You know, goal lines obviously already limited by Josh Allen there. But we saw Zach Moss uh, involved near the goal line, scoring short yardage touchdowns. Devin Singletary barely carried in the playoffs, even after Moss went down. And even if you look at the carry share um, angle of it, he was getting like a, a third of the team's rushing attempts with nothing else there. TJ yelled in there. So when you combine that with basically nothing near the goal line through his two seasons and, you know, a, a, an iffy athletic profile coming into the league, I'm just not interested in Devin Singletary anymore. I don't think that there's anything that he does better than Zach Moss. Right now, he's the more accomplished receiver. But I think that Zach Moss can do just as much as Devin Singletary on the receiving front. So I don't think there's anything that Devin Singletary does that that is going to force Buffalo to keep him heavily involved. And he doesn't have enough touchdown upside to be interesting to me, even as like a, a handcuff or late round stash kind of play. I'm open to the possibility of Matt Breida reemerging. I was surprised that he got so few touches in Miami after they traded for him. But I mean, that happened and it followed San Francisco phasing him out. For other undrafted journeyman types, you know, at this point, we we think of Raheem Mostert being a pretty good back. We think of Jeff Wilson Jr. being a pretty solid back. Uh, those guys were undrafted free agents as well. Mostert floated around before landing in San Francisco. So it's not like they phased Matt Breida out because they got these studs in there. So I think that it's a, there's a chance that Matt Breida has just already seen his peak. He just landed in the right spot for both opportunity and running back success. And he's just not going to do anything from here on out. So as a late stash, I think he's fine. Um, But I'm not anticipating anything for me. Zach Moss is really the hope in that backfield. And especially he's going outside the top 40 at running back in ADP. Uh, He's an easy bet there because you lose nothing if he doesn't work out. I want to like Devin Singletary so much. And uh, like part of me thinks he's underrated, but he kind of reminds me of another Buffalo back, but I actually mean University of Buffalo because he's kind of Jared Patterson, isn't he? Like a little guy who doesn't really catch passes at all. And I, I like Singletary as a runner, and I was really intrigued by Patterson at the University of Buffalo. But a little guy who doesn't really catch passes isn't going to work in the NFL, uh, you know, at least beyond – committee back contributions. So yeah, and, and maybe Singletary was sort of maxed out with a semi-useful committee back role in the past, but there's definitely room for Moss's role to grow, I think. And, and you know, we're probably topped out on where Singletary can possibly go. Um, Matt, you put out IDP contents and have fared quite well in the Fantasy Pros IDP rankings competition. How did you first get into IDP leagues? It's funny, the first fantasy football league that I played in actually started out with, I think it was two IDP slots, and I advocated for changing that away from IDPs to go to team defenses, Um, and successfully, the league made that change to team defenses, so it's funny to look back at that now, but I mean, part of that is we we weren't doing it right, so I'll get more into that in a minute. Um, Then how I actually really got into IDPs was I was looking for 
I, I was doing a newspaper column on fantasy football at the newspaper I was working at out of college, and uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I thought that I was doing fairly well at writing those columns. I wanted to see if there was more out there. I think at the time, it was really just the the Yahoo guys. There might have been a guy or two at ESPN, like maybe Eric Carabell um, at ESPN at that point. But really, the guys I remember from then were like Brandon Funston, Mike Harmon at Yahoo. Not a lot of of fantasy content that you could find out there. So I had, you know, I just searched around, see if there was somebody that I could do some writing for. I found uh, Mike Beacom, Pro Fantasy Sports, and he was like, I need somebody to do an IDP start sit. And I was like, I don't really play IDPs, but I mean, I guess I can do that if that's what's available. And then, you know, I, I didn't want to, I, I, I wanted to do it well. I wanted to do it right if I was going to do it. So I, I dug into him there got way into it, you know, wound up realizing that it's really just the defensive version of fantasy football. And from there, you know, it just grew. Like I, I, once I started doing that, I was like, Hey, sporting news doesn't have any IDP stuff. Maybe I should contact them, see if I can do an IDP uh, column for them. And they're like, yeah, sure. Come do that. And then, you know, I've, I've had different opportunities along the way and it's just kind of stayed with me and become one of my, I don't know, I mean, main calling cards, I guess. Give people the sales pitch for IDP leagues, Matt. Why should they consider trying them? So I'd have to tailor this one a little bit here, depending on the audience for the sales pitch. If you've never played with IDPs before, I would start by asking, do you really like playing fantasy? Do you like digging into stats and players and seeking advantages over other competitive fantasy players? Or are you a more casual fantasy player? And, you know, neither of those is wrong. Both of those is fine. And if we didn't have both of those types of fantasy players... Fantasy football would not be nearly as big as it is, and I would have to get a job that is more real than what I do. But if you are a casual player, IDP is probably not for you. It goes along the lines of what I was saying before about needing to do it right and needing to get into it. If you're a dedicated player, there, there's no question that you would like IDPs once you got into playing with them. It's the same game, but just on the other side of the ball. It's a whole new pool of players that you get to know. It's a whole new area of the game that you're suddenly paying more attention to than you did before. Maybe you start understanding defense more. Maybe you don't. Maybe that part doesn't really matter. You just need to you know, understand the, t- the stat trends, and that's fine too. But either way, it definitely adds more strategy to fantasy. It gives you another area that you can get an edge on other players, and it adds depth to the game. I mean, we've all had frustrating weeks where – our team, the, the two teams were so close and your opponent just lucked into that one touchdown while your guy fell a yard short of the end zone. And that's the difference. If you add a defensive lineup, it it takes out some of that luck by just adding more players that can score. And, you know, there's a better chance that the better overall lineup will win. I remember a, a week where um, I was playing against Gene Bramble from Football Guys and he had I want to say Justin Houston had like a a four sack game or something like that. And there's a pressure friendly scoring system, the kind of week that Justin Houston's teams should have won every single matchup. And I beat uh, Gene's team with Justin Houston on in that week. So, I mean, you know, without getting further into specifics, it's just, you know, that kind of example of the, the deeper the lineup, the better chance that the better lineup just wins that week. The final piece, and I've, I've mentioned it twice you have to do it right. If you're going to play with IDPs, you don't do it with one, two, or three IDP slots because that's like playing fantasy on offense and having three offensive slots to fill and using all of the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. You'll find people who play like that and you're like, I I played IDPs 
and it's just too easy. There was there are enough guys for everybody in my league, and all you want to do is pick the linebackers on the bad teams because they pile up the tackles. Yeah, I mean, if that's how you played it, then yeah, it is easy, and there are plenty of players for everybody in your league. But if you build out the lineup, if you have more slots, and if you require actual strategy and proper valuation of the players – like I said, it just takes what you like about fantasy and doubles it and rewards the people who prepare better, draft better, um, build their lineup better. Yeah, good point. The more defensive starters you have, the more, you know, it, it well, part of it is, as you said, it sort of dilutes the variance, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, like there's more, there's more that goes into it as far as thought and, and, decisions about like who to go for and you just have to dig deeper if you have more defensive starters than just two or three i agree those you know if you're going to do it jump in head first um is is there a piece of tactical advice that you might have for people jumping into idp for the first time some philosophical nugget or strategy tidbit that might help the newbies it, it always it might sound funny, but uh, really knowing your league scoring is important here because IDP scoring varies much more than even the offensive side, which you know has plenty of variations. Even a lot of people who play IDP leagues on a regular basis don't pay enough attention to their league specific scoring, especially if they play in multiple leagues that have different scoring formats, because it can make a, a big difference. And then you know ultimately, I think people pay less attention to the defensive side. And also wind up chasing last year's stats more than we do on offense at this point. I think that fantasy players in general have gotten better at not just chasing last year's stats. I think the IDP side is still lagging there because people just don't have enough knowledge to not do that. I I would say also, just like on offense, try to look beyond the obvious stats. And it goes along with not just chasing last year's stats. So look for hidden pressure numbers behind just the sacks for a pass rusher. Stuff like QB hits. Uh, pressures, hurries, um, linebacker, things like tackle rates, playing time. Because if a guy has mediocre tackle numbers, but he's doing so at you know 50% playing time and he's about to get a boost in time on the field, then he doesn't need to play any better to give you much bigger numbers the next year. It could be a sleeper. And then the final thing I would say is don't pay up for defensive backs because they're the most volatile position in all of fantasy. Good advice there. Uh, is there like one player specific bit of IDP advice for 2021 that you might have? Anyone you'd recommend targeting or, or avoiding? I'm going to go beyond just one. I'll start with Vikings defensive end, Daniil Hunter. He looks like he'll be undervalued, I think, after missing last season with a neck injury. Uh, as long as he's fine this summer with the neck, I mean, it seemed like the surgery was good, was uh, positive and he should be set for this season. So we'll watch him this summer. But as long as he's good on the health front, There's no reason to believe that he shouldn't be a a top performer again with upside all the way to the top of the position. I think you'll be able to pay a lot less to get that this year. I would also say by this year's rookie linebackers, I like Zayvon Collins the best in Arizona. Cardinals have already said he'll start in the spot that was Jordan Hicks's spot. So I think that alone puts Zayvon Collins ahead of Isaiah Simmons, who might the his rookie season might make people a little gun shy on Zayvon Collins this year, but don't be. I think Zayvon Collins is high upside this year. I think Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in Cleveland, Jamin Davis in Washington are also well set up. Micah Parsons, I'm going to need to see a little bit more about his role this summer before I know what to make of him 
in Dallas, which is a little bit more crowded at linebacker. And I mean, beyond those guys, I'll have a lot more specifics, uh, putting some stuff out on Twitter as I get into projecting the IDPs over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I did not get to see a lot of Zayvon Collins play in college because he played for Tulsa. But man, that is one fun highlight package. I mean, that dude can really get around. Uh, I'm excited to see him play this year for sure. All right, Matt, after seeing your tweet about singing uh, the Stone Temple Pilots song Plush the other day, I had to ask you about your musical tastes. Like what kind of stuff do you generally listen to? And does grudge grunge fall into your wheelhouse? I try to hold off of the grudges at this point with all my fantasy play, but grunge, I would say, <laughs> is definitely in my wheelhouse. I, I listen to a pretty wide variety of music at this point, especially because I have kids. I mean, my daughters are, are 14 and 12, so there's a lot of battling over what's on the radio. So I kind of have to put up with some of their stuff. I have to get comfy with some of their stuff. But I mean, rock, pop, country, hip hop, R&B, uh, I have all of those things. I have Sirius XM in my van. The favorites, the favorite artists list includes Gin Blossoms, Outkast, Travis Tritt. I've got the Hamilton soundtrack in my phone. Uh, I sing along to other musicals and Taylor Swift with my kids in the car. I was a little bit late to grunge, to be honest. I was 11 years old when Nevermind and 10 came out. Um, so I got into Nirvana more so with In Utero in 1993 and then kind of worked back from there. But took a road trip in college to see Pearl Jam in three different states. I think I've seen them six times live at this point. I was certainly big on Stone Temple Pilots when they came out. Also big on Gin Blossoms, though. Blind Melon, Hootie and the Blowfish. So you know, I wasn't just grunge. I wasn't necessarily always walking around um, with the flannel shirt open and chains hanging from my pockets, but it was definitely a, a regular part of my rotation. All right. First of all, you have to be versatile on musical tastes if you're a dad. I mean, you know, I'm I'm driving my daughter and her friends around to the mall. Like I have to get used to hearing Olivia Rodrigo tunes and uh, all sorts of other stuff that, you know, on my own, I would not be listening to. Uh, do you have three favorites '90s bands? So, if we were going to stick to grunge, I would probably say um, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and STP. I do, Gin Blossoms are probably higher than one of those. Um, and I, you know, honestly, Hootie is like, even though as popular as Hootie and the Blowfish was and continues to be, it always still feels like a guilty pleasure. I feel like I. I should be less of a fan of Hootie than I am, but uh, I'm singing along with Only Want to Be With You and Let Her Cry. Uh, I'm, I'm belting Let Her Cry every time it comes on the radio. So if I'm being honest, Hootie's probably in the top three. Yeah, there was really no one cranking out like hits more reliably than Hootie in the 90s. So uh, I don't blame you at all for that selection. All right, Matt, tell me about the Pete Rose poster in your bedroom when you were a kid. I There was just a great thread by Marcus Grant's. Uh, of NFL.com about what sports posters you had in your bedroom as a kid. You had an old Pete Rose poster. Were you a, a Pete Rose guy, a Reds guy? I mean, I won't say that I was a big Pete Rose fan specifically. Um, I, I do. That That was just the first poster that popped into mind. I don't even remember how long it, it was in my room. I lived in Cincinnati from 1985 until the end of 1992. So from my, when I was about five to 12 and a half, we went to a lot of Reds games. Baseball was definitely my favorite sport growing up. And, though, you know, those are some pretty formative years. I played first base. That was a position he played when we moved there. He was wrapping up his career as um, the, the player slash manager, which is funny to remember at this point because I, I don't know if you've seen that really happen since then. I'm not sure who the last guy 
who was a player manager was, but I mean, I was there when he was, when his scan, when he got kicked out of baseball. And I, I was just, I think I was too young to really grasp the full situation, but I can certainly remember it. And I do think that it's ridiculous that Pete Rose is not allowed to be in the hall of fame for his transgressions. When we consider some of the other people that are in the baseball hall of fame, the NFL hall of fame, just a little bit silly, especially now with, um, sports gambling just be, becoming more and more accepted around the country. Yeah, right. I, it, with the exactly like the societal acceptance of sports gambling and the fact that they're even partnering with some of the actual sports leagues, that there are gambling sports partnerships. I don't see how they can keep them out much longer. And for the record, Pete Rose was the last player manager. Uh, there was there have not been any subsequent player managers. So yeah, that is kind of a rare thing. And I wonder if we'll ever see that again. All right. Turning back to fantasy football, Matt, actually though, before we get away from baseball, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me also say I was at the game in Cincinnati when Lou Pinella picked first base up out of the ground and threw it into the outfield in the midst of uh, arguing with an umpire. So that's, a, that's another iconic sports moment from my uh, childhood. Oh, that's amazing that you were at that. I mean, that was absolutely one of the greatest managerial meltdowns ever. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> All right, Matt, based on, on Twitter chatter, best ball drafts, ADP, whatever, who are some of the players you believe to be mispriced right now? That could mean undervalued, that could mean overvalued, guys who you seem to like much more or dislike much more than consensus. Yeah. So one thing I try to do is make sure that I'm balancing Twitter chatter with what's actually happening in drafts. Cause sometimes I, I forget how much of a bubble we, it still can be talking fantasy on Twitter. Cause most of the people that I follow and that respond to me are fantasy people. So it can seem like what everybody's thinking. And then sometimes I'll go to ADP and be like, Oh, that's not actually what everyone's thinking. It's just getting, kind of amplified right now and it's not being reflected in player ADP. So uh, if for just for me, it's important to remember to, you know, square up the, the chatter with what's actually happening. That said, I did, um, you know, compare that with ADP right now. There's been some correction on JK Dobbins, but I, I still think that he's going a little bit too early. I'm not touching him ahead of Miles Sanders um, and some others in that range. DeAndre Swift, I think, is a little bit too high. Similar to Dobbins, he's come down some, but he's still in the middle of round two. And it, that's just still too high a risk um, area for me to, to be taking DeAndre Swift, considering some of the other guys that are available around him there. Najee Harris, I'm not sure that he's overrated right now, but I, he seems like he might be headed in that direction. I wouldn't be surprised if we get to you know like July, especially late July or early August, if we're getting positive buzz from him in camp. If he gets into that round one range on a regular basis, I think we're already at the point where he could get into that round in a given draft. Like if you go do an FFPC draft live, I don't think it would be shocking to see Najee Harris go, you know, 11th overall. To me, that's too early to be uh, taking him right now. Thank you. He is way overrated in redraft. I think so too, especially considering that the offensive line does not look to be appreciably better than it was last year. And it was bad last year. Um, and just, I don't think we're talking about a, a generational, God, and I hate using that term, but uh, I don't think we're talking about a Saquon Barkley or a Jonathan Taylor. I just don't think he's as good a prospect. Everyone loves the landing spot, just transfixed by the landing spot. No problem with taking him as, you know, one of the first few guys in a, a one quarterback dynasty draft 
or uh, a rookie draft that is, or even top of the first round in a two QB draft. But man, seeing him go at like, you know, in the second round or or early third round of of redrafts. Wow. Yeah. I kind of have an issue with that. Um, And speaking of rookie drafts, Matt, like how have your drafts gone so far? Are there any guys you found yourself drafting repeatedly in this year's dynasty rookie drafts, any guys uh, you were consistently targeting? Well, I mean, I don't, I haven't do, I haven't done a lot of rookie drafts to this point, but I would say Elijah Moore is somebody that I've been targeting and, and liking where he goes. He's a favorite combo for me of talent and value. He's not going too early, um, and I think he's got upside still from uh, where he's going. And it really gets fairly ugly uh, pretty quickly after that. I think so. There aren't a lot of favorites for me beyond that range. Just you know, guys that are waiting to see where they go. I think that the the ugliness of running back and down the board receivers makes it easier to take quarterbacks a little bit earlier than I might have in the past. It also makes it a little bit easier to take uh, some of the tight ends. Pat Fryermuth, Hunter Long is fine. Um, You know, not guys I'm excited about, but it maybe pushes them up a little bit versus where I would typically uh, target those guys. On the IDP side, though, it's totally different, I think, than on offense because I love the top linebackers. And I think if you are in a rookie draft, that includes IDPs. Maybe you can look past um, some of those offensive players. Maybe last year you would have taken a wide receiver. This year you take a linebacker or an edge player. There's some nice upside, I think, at that in that area, whether they're defensive ends or linebackers. I, I've, I've spent several years now tracking speed scores among edge prospects. Um, that can point to some sleepers down the board. With Max Crosby is a good example where he was a later round pick, but a, a good speed score guy got opportunity. So that's the kind of guy that you want to target. A couple of defensive ends I really like. Uh, Bill's defensive end, Carlos Basham Jr., who was the second defensive end they took after Greg Russo. But I think he might contribute more quickly than Russo, just considering how they both enter as prospects. And then Bengals defensive end, Joseph Osai, in round three. I think he's going to be an interesting guy to watch over the next few years. God, Basham is another fun watch on tape. And I know some people kind of knocked him because he was a four-year player, but uh yeah, he was just fun to watch the highlights of. Um, you you did 40-plus scouting reports for Draft Sharks. Matt, was there anyone you just wanted no part of? Yeah, I think that Elijah Mitchell was the one that I was really disappointed about. He's the sixth-round pick of the 49ers, and you look at the profile, and he ran like a 4-3-5-40, and you're like, sweet, this guy's got to have something but, I mean, he couldn't steal carries from Trey Ragas. He spent the, his entire career sharing touches with him. Last year, he lost receiving work to uh, some new kid. I can't even remember the name. But, you know, he's at Louisiana. You would think a guy with that kind of athletic profile and heading into the NFL would just have dominated for at least one year there, and he didn't. So that's that's one guy that jumps out to me as somebody that I just I, I don't want any part of where I would have to pay for him. Matt, you recently tweeted that Mike Gesicki is the cryptocurrency of tight ends. What did you mean by that? I think I basically meant we're all guessing at what his future looks like. Maybe he's about to explode and you know make money for people that have shares of him. Maybe he's about to completely implode. And you know, I think part of it too is not knowing which cryptocurrency he might be. Is that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Gesicki finishes next season as the number five fantasy tight end, I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes next season with 60 targets and absolutely no fantasy value. I mean, 
ultimately last year he scored well and he was a top 10 tight end, but he spent most of the year letting down people that drafted him. So unless he did enough late in the year to help you win in the playoffs, make sure that you don't forget the bad stuff with Mike Jasicki and look only at the good stuff. But the really the unknown, the it could go anywhere from here is what makes him cryptocurrency to me. Yeah, right as we're getting excited about him, like they add a, another big pass catching weapon in Jalen Waddle. And they also, didn't they draft Hunter Long also? Yeah. I yep. mean, that's just, yeah, very unfortunate for the uh, speculators out there in Mike Jasicki. Um, all right, Matt, let's finish with some short answer stuff. You can give me just a straight one word answer, or you can add a sentence or two for caller your call. Two years from now, will we consider Kyler Murray a top-tier fantasy quarterback? Yes, because he's such a good runner, it doesn't matter how well he passes. Two years from now, will we consider Lamar Jackson a top-tier fantasy quarterback? Yes, because he... Same reason, and I don't think he's as bad a passer as detractors say. Um, I'm interested to see his next contract in Baltimore. I think that 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 should be coming very soon, but if there's a delay on that, that might say something about him that we don't know yet. More valuable Rams receiver this year, Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? That's tough. I would go with Robert Woods because he gives us um, better yards per catch and there are more different things that he can do. I like both of them in the range where they're going now, and I have no problem with putting them both on a, a best ball roster. More valuable Buccaneers receiver, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin? I would have to lean Mike Evans for a similar reason and even more pronounced. You know, he's a down, he's the downfield guy. He's the safer bet to stay heavily involved in the end zone. And those are the two things that really give us fantasy ceiling. I definitely think Chris Godwin could outscore him, but I would lean toward Mike Evans when they're head to head. All right. Last one, Matt. Would you rather have Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson this year? Hawkinson because of the volume and because I can get him a little bit later. Agreed. Well, this has been terrific, Matt. Uh, We had a lot of fun discussing the NFL draft and NFL draft busts on your podcast a few weeks ago. And this has been a blast, too. So thank thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And uh, before you run, Matt, can you remind people where they can find you? Yep. You can find me certainly on Twitter at Schauf, D-S-S-C-H-A-U-F. On DraftSharks.com, you know, we've got the rookie profiles I mentioned. We've got uh, we've made big upgrades to our draft board this year. 3D projections going to be powering the thing, giving consensus, giving ceiling projections, giving floor projections. So you're going to want to check out the juiced up version of our draft board this year on DraftSharks.com. Um, and, you know, IDP content coming out soon. So uh, feel free. Come check me out. Come Come check us out. Outstanding, Matt. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pat. It's been a good time. And that's going to do it for this installment of Fits on Fantasy. Let me once again thank our guest, Matt Schaff of Draft Sharks. Find him on Twitter at DS. Big, big thanks to my producer, Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And I urge you to check out the podcast that Calm hosts along with Sean Siegel. It's Rotoviz Overtime. Special thanks to my friend and content partner, Melissa Jacobs, owner and operator of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. And special thanks and a shout out to Joe Bryant and the rest of my teammates over at Football Guys. Highly recommend you consider subscribing to footballguys.com. Well worth the price. 
Uh, music for Fits on Fantasy comes courtesy of legendary Milwaukee ska band International Jet Set. And I also need to thank all of you, my friends. You are the engines powering this podcast. And hey, I know we're sort of in the doldrums of the fantasy calendar right now, still a few weeks away from the point at which interest in fantasy really starts to gather steam. But you guys keep coming back to the show week after week, and I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for listening. All right, have a great Memorial Day weekend, everyone. And thanks to all of the brave men and women who served in our military. Okay, everyone, that's it. Talk to you next week. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.